Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 148, December 2021. Our guests this month are Jacqueline Rheingold and returning guest Cheryl Davis, both members of the Honor Roll, whom we featured on our March 2021 podcast. And I will remind everyone that the Honor Roll is an advocacy and action group of women plus playwrights and allies over 40, whose goal is inclusion in theater. Jackie and Cheryl will be talking about an exciting new book from Applause Acting Series called She Persisted, 100 Monologues for Women Over 40. The book was edited by the inestimable Lawrence Harbison and has an introduction by playwright Teresa Rebeck. The issue of such neglect of talent and opportunity of voice has been surfacing and resurfacing for many, many, way too many years now. And this book is another strong chapter in the struggle for parody. So let's talk about why this is new, the story of the book. I mean, how did this book come about? Because I, we know the issue of women over 40 being ignored in the profession has been around for a very long time and hasn't gone away, unfortunately. So more noise has to be made, and this book will go a long way, I think, to attracting attention to this ridiculous inequality. So where did this book come from, and how long did it take to get here? Well, I'll jump in. This is Jackie, and um, the book came because of Honor Roll. Uh, and Cheryl, you want to read the Honor Roll mission statement, maybe, so that we all know what it is? Sure, Jackie. Uh, Honor Roll is an advocacy and action group of women plus playwrights over 40 and our women plus over 40 ad allies, whose goal is our inclusion in theater. We are the generation excluded at the outset of our careers because of sexism, now overlooked because of ageism. We celebrate diversity in theater and work to eliminate age discrimination as it intersects with sexism and other biases, including those based on race, gender identity, ethnicity, faith, socioeconomic status, disability, and sexual orientation in the American theater and beyond. Thank you, Cheryl, because I think... Oh, that's pretty sorry George go ahead no 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 it's just we've had we've already done a show on the honor roll and it was spectacular I got so much good feedback from that I got emails from lots of places talking about wonderful yeah wanting to know about that and your mission statement is powerful yeah let's keep going on this thank you and and uh, uh I I always I like to hear it and we work very hard on it and I just a shout out to Sarah Tuft who's an honor roll member and on our executive committee who really kept us working on that mission statement. So it's hard to talk about the books without talking about Honor Roll and knowing what Honor Roll is. So right. the other thing about Honor Roll is it's a grassroots group of um, self-initiated actions. And everything we do is initiated by a member or by a group of members. Mm -hmm. And the groups, uh, the books came about that way uh, from an idea I had about, well, let's get our work published since that's an important way to obviously get us known and get the word out. And I approached uh, Lawrence Harbison, who's a you know well-known theater book editor that I knew. And uh, he was excited by the idea and he convinced Applause Theater and Cinema, book, Cinema Books to publish um, a collection of 10 minute plays and of monologues. And then I asked Cheryl to work with me along along with uh, Suzanne Bradbeer and Lucy Wang, and we became a committee, and it took two years, and now we have the books. And uh, Larry edited them. We didn't choose the books. They were his choices. And um, 
uh, and uh, it's thrilling. We can get the, the work out there. So Larry chose mm-hmm. the monologues? Is that what you meant? Larry chose everything. All the honor roll members were invited to submit, and he made the selection since we didn't want to be in that position. Yeah, Larry's really good at what he does. I've been published by him a couple of times, and personally, I love the man. Um, how many people submitted for this? Because right, let's let's let me take that back a little bit. How many members in honor roll? We have about we have to about fourteen hundred members of honor roll. Wow. Yes. And we've actually been growing even more recently because, as you said, George, this is while this issue has been around, unfortunately, for a number of years. This is Cheryl, by the way. uh, It has it has come to the fore more recently because it's been in the news. What happened with Center Theater Group out in L.A. where they were called on not having women playwrights in their season and Jeremy Harris withdrew his play and Teresa Rebeck wrote about the issues of gender representation and older woman gender representation in theater. So there's been an article in the New York Times about it. There's been press in the LA Times about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is this issue is really coming to the fore more lately. And we are very glad that the books are coming out now because they can both benefit and help push the conversation forward. Great. What and of- I'll just add on, oh, sorry, this is Jackie, just to add on to Cheryl is that uh, uh, Sarah Shulman is a member of Honor Roll who wrote that amazing piece in the uh, LA Times. And uh, Teresa Rebeck is also a member of Honor Roll and she wrote the <clears throat> introduction, <clears throat> excuse me, to these volumes as well. Yeah, I read both of those and they're the really great work. Um, let's talk a little bit about what Sarah wrote in her op-ed because that was big news when it happened. I remember getting emails from several different people Mm -hmm. and I saw it on Facebook as well. So let's share a little of that. I'm just going to say my favorite uh, sentence from Sarah in the LA Times is is how she said, the time for widespread change is now. And to me, that says it all. There was also an honorable member, I hope I get her name right, named Sikavu Hutchinson, who wrote a letter in response, which is also worth looking at. So, you know, honor roll members are really jumping in and saying, uh, we are here and um, we have not been taken seriously by many in the theater because when we were young, sexism was rampant. And now that we are older, ageism is is affecting uh, our uh, ability to get produced. And yet we love playwriting so much, we keep writing anyway. That's what good playwrights do. Yeah, it's it's not the most lucrative profession in the world, and and the the goals of glory, fame, and respect fall a little short in the actual, you know, working out of it. But this is this is what we do. You know, it's, it is. We do it because we love the industry. And we love the form. Yeah, we love telling stories because each of us mm-hmm. has stories, and we've heard stories from other people and we see a play we see somebody else's story and the stories of women over 40 who have been neglected and ignored are finally starting to be heard so what kind of what kind of stories are we seeing in this book what kind of monologues do we have well we have model we have two books one is a um, hundred monologues from plays and we also have um, a book of 30 10 minute plays um, and just to say something about the 10-minute playbook, some of them were recently produced, these plays, like Susan Cinnamon's and Donna Latham's plays were just published, produced last year. And then some of the plays are from longer ago, 
uh, like Adrian Williams' play, and I have a play. And I think that makes the point, again, that these beautiful gems um, uh, have been in part overlooked because some of these writers have been overlooked. Um, so uh, until now, of course. And a, a little bit about just the characters. So. Uh, some of the characters are older, and I love that we have a play, uh, Donna Hoke wrote a play, which you read on your podcast, uh, George, called You Haven't Changed a Bit, right. which has two characters in their 80s, and Royal Cherie has a play called Lightning Bugs, and she was interviewed on your podcast, and her two characters are in their 70s. Um, I have a play with characters in their 70s, but then we have, of course, a, a big range, um, and there are a lot of plays for young actors, like Audrey Webb wrote a play for 17-year-olds, and Sherry Wilner wrote a play for college age. And I'll just say one more, Michael Angel Johnson has a play, and many of them are, of uh, characters of different ages. So she has a play uh, that takes place in 1864 for a 19-year-old African-American woman and a 62-year-old uh, white abolitionist. So they really uh, run the wow. spectrum of yeah. ages and uh every other kind of character we can possibly imagine. I would go on and on, but I don't mm -hmm. think I will um, uh, 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 for um, uh, many actors and readers. Yeah, I, I expect this book is gonna to appeal to not just women over 40, the demographic it's aimed oh, at. Yeah. I think it's, it's gonna hit a lot of different parts of the spectrum. And oh, I'm just gonna throw one more in because it's yeah. funny. Susan Kim wrote a play and called privilege and she didn't unlike the others she didn't assign any race sexuality or gender because she wanted it to spark discussion amongst the cast and the director oh i like that idea there's there's, there's been a lot of playwrights and I've, I've been doing it myself lately not assigning gender mm -hmm. age race and i i've been putting on on the cover page who do you have in, the, in your company? Cast whoever mm -hmm. fits this particular thing because the dynamics can be so different and the play can be completely different depending upon who does it. So, I mean, it takes a chance, but I think it sounds like a lot of fun, you know? I agree. And I think one of the things that we hope will happen from the publication of these plays and monologues is that people will realize that women over 40 have great and unique vision it's we're not yes we are writing stories about women older women and their lives but we're writing so much more than that we have an expansive view and capability and talent and that should be acknowledged and respected agreed there is agreed and this is jackie there's this crazy thing out there when people produce you know they think that fresh voices mean uh young voices and it just isn't true because uh, fresh voices mean original, compelling, uh, and uh, uh, daring uh, uh, writers. And um, you'll, if you read these plays and these monologues, I think you will have no doubt that that is the case here. Yeah, well, it's that whole spectrum of women writers has been suppressed for so long. And the stories are just not just coming out they've been coming out for a while but they're not they haven't been coming out in the volume that they should be and to some people these are these are new things and we're discovering so many aspects of life that we haven't been exposed to or we haven't paid attention to which is worse okay um, absolutely yeah 
What kind of feedback have you been getting back from this? Oh, it's been amazing. So the books came out uh, the, and the 10 minute play books came out and they were the uh, number one uh, new release on Amazon for American plays. It was yes. thrilling. The monologues were, uh, it said two left, you know, almost sold out. So that was thrilling. Nice. Um, uh, and we have this uh, great team because uh, we're all volunteers here. You know, we're a grassroots group of 1,400 volunteers. Wow. Uh, Laura Rohrman, who's a wonderful playwright, has um, been heading up our press team. Um, and she's been really sending out, uh, uh, getting out the word, as have all the writers been doing that as well. Um, it's been quite thrilling. I've been talking to a lot of people, and I don't know quite there are some of the things that might be happening that I don't want to speak to yet because I don't know. Uh, what will happen. Um, we're looking at doing a, a book launch party, um, though uh, it's been, you know, temporarily delayed because of COVID. Of course, things are a bit difficult to have an indoor celebration, but we're going to have one. Uh, one of our wonderful members, Lisa Rafferty, is heading that up, and I look forward to what she's going to produce. Um, uh, 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 oh, I wanted to go back for a second to Teresa Rebeck and what you were saying about the plays and what she wrote in the intro. And here's a wonderful thing she says in the intro to the book. She says, these women are in their 40s and 50s and 60s, and they have been writing a long time, and they're at the height of their craft. These are tight, complex, nuanced pieces of writing, which no one has seen because for too long they weren't looking. These are important writers and important plays. That's wonderful. Yeah, and it's true. I, Teresa Rebeck has been one of the few better-known female playwrights. All right, her name is usually up there. She's one of the most produced. She's had a bunch of stuff on Broadway. Uh, and yeah, she's, she's pretty much made it to the top. But she's one out of, what, 10,000, 20,000? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Her and for her to step up and acknowledge this and to write words like that, that's good for her. That's, that's really amazing. Um, you both really have wonderful that she's reaching out to help women who have not been able to reach her level of prestige and respect. It's right. wonderful that she's trying to acknowledge and giving us all a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, theater's hard enough for any playwright to, you know, A, get a production, especially these days in COVID when none of the theaters, very few of the theaters are open again. And the ones that are open are dealing with, are you vaxxed? Do you have a card? Are you wearing a mask? How can we do this? And the entire industry is changing from the ground up. And a lot of things are now going to video and audio and Zoom, just like we're doing right here. Um, and I kind of wandered away from my point, which is, I tend to do that. <laughs> but, well, the, the good, I think the good news is that there have been changes in the theater and there is yeah. more diversity in the plays that are being produced. And, and, um, and I think we are all thrilled about that. Um, and it's been especially challenging, which is what Sarah, I think, pointed out in her op-ed, not just for, for women over 40, but women over 40 who are BIPOC, those are the women yeah. that have that were most seriously impacted um, uh, by all kinds of barriers up until now. And yet, while we are cheering on some of us, all the diversity, we are also some of us wondering if, if um, uh, women who are older are going to be included in that diversity. And we're not always seeing that. And that's, an, uh, that's also why we're here and, uh, want to get that word out as well that you know ageism in, in in addition to 
other marginalized communities is um, we, we still are, are uh, out there saying uh, uh, we deserve to be included along with everybody else. Absolutely. On that, because I'm wondering, in, in theater, like I was, I was going to say before, it's difficult. It's all, in some cases, it's extremely difficult to get a production, to get known, to get a play produced two or three times because everybody wants what world premieres and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of us resort to self-production just to see our work up there. So from the point of view of a woman, a BIPOC woman, a woman over 40, whose opportunities are limited for whatever reasons there might be. Um, how has this affected you? Have you self-produced? Have you said the hell with the dominant paradigm? I'm going to just put my stuff out there because it needs to be seen. How did you go about that? Well, I have not self-produced myself, although I work with an organization, Theater Resources Unlimited, which does help um, playwrights and other theater artists self-produce. So I am very active in helping people self-produce. But in terms of getting my own work out there, I I have I have readings. I'm fortunate enough to know people who have uh, who have reading series, mm -hmm. who have theaters that do uh, workshops. I was very blessed to be involved with the Lark Play Development Center before oh, it recent yeah. announcement, and that's devastating. That is simply gutting because that was an opportunity for a lot of us to just work on our work and get it to the stage where we could send it out and get other companies to take it seriously and hopefully be able to produce it. Yeah. But now that outlet is gone. So we're looking, looking for something to take the place of that. Yes. I've had, I've, also, I've had my work done as part of like 10 minute play festivals around the country. I, it's a question of, I keep my, I keep my ear to the ground and I, I, I network which is, I think, what a lot of us do and a lot of us need to do. It's a, it's a very, it, we're like, I think all entertainment, we are a, a community, an industry that is based on a lot on who you know. And the problem with BIPOC and older women uh, writers is we need to be where, where the people will, who are who need to be known, who need to know us. That didn't quite make sense, but I think you know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> we're all playwrights. We can pick it up from the context. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm just going to go as we're talking about this, I'm just I'll go back to what Sarah says in her uh, op ed, which I mm -hmm. think she says it much better than I tried to before. Um, she says women over 50, especially women who are BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, quote, who led the path for diversity we now enjoy. The Guild said in a recent mailing, she's quoting from the Dramatist Guild, quote, do mm -hmm. not appear to have directly benefited. So um uh, I, I think this gets uh, a perhaps unseen or unspoken of enough in, in the similar way that older women are often perhaps unseen and, and, and become invisible in a similar way that sometimes ageism is so rampant, mm -hmm. it becomes uh, there's something un invisible that happens. We don't even know we have it. The fight goes on. Yeah, yes. it's... Uh... Yeah, the struggle's been going on for a while, and small gains have been made, and but there's still lots of room for bigger gains and equality, and, and the word, I believe, is parity, equity, you know? Those are counted. good words, right, Cheryl? Yeah. I don't know. I like those words. <laughs> yeah. 
I want to go back to what Cheryl was talking about, about Good. her own work, just for a second, because I was doing a little bit of research, and I was drawn to your play, The Monument, which is part of the 2021 Orchard Project, and... The more I read about it, the more intrigued I became, at least about the subject matter. And could you talk about that a little bit? Because it sounds like something extremely interesting. I'd love to see it. I'd you know, just, I'd love to be sit there and just get blown away by this thing. But it sounds powerful. Well, thank you, George. And the interesting thing about the monument, uh, which I'm working working on with Randall David Cook, fellow playwright, and Gwen McDonald who was a director slash dramaturg, we are essentially a triumvirate working on this piece, The Monument, is that it involves the story of an older black woman who, who comes to reach a certain point in her life and makes a life-changing decision. And it is the story of Essie Mae Washington Williams, uh, the secret biracial daughter of Strom, Senator Strom Thurmond, uh, infamously, infamously racist Senator Strom Thurmond. And her existence was kept secret for much of her life. And she kept the secret as well. And the play deals with her decision after her father's passing to finally come out and have her secret, have her life known and to get her name put on a monument of Strom Thurmond, which has his four white children. And she worked and she was able to get her name added to that monument. And it, the play deals with both the racial uh, issues that were going on in the country during the many decades of Strom Thurmond's uh, career and of S.E. May Washington Williams' life. She was 79 when she wrote, when she spoke out and then she wrote a book and she was on uh, 60 Minutes talking about her life. And she it was a fascinating story about this yeah. woman who had a quiet quite almost life, not in secret because she searched, she had a husband and children, but at some point she didn't even tell her husband who her father was. It took her a while before she told her children who her father was. It's a question of the burden that this secret had on her. So it deals with obviously racial relations and racial issues in the country, but it also deals with a family dynamic. And this is a family that in its way kind of represents America. In a sense, yes, it does. It represents America in ways that a lot of people would probably not to have to look at America as such. Cause it exactly. Yeah, it doesn't quite follow the red, white, and blue brochure. And <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know, Storm Thurmond was a representative senator for, I don't know how many years, just many, so many years. One of the, I think one of the longest serving, but he was, his views were outspokenly racist. In fact, he ran in 1948. He ran for president on the Dixiecrat platform. Oh. And he made an infamous speech about uh, not letting Negroes in our swimming pools, not in our yards, all of this mm. stuff. And all the while, he had a black daughter. How does a woman like that deal with life, deal with that knowledge that she might not want to tell anybody for so many different reasons. Oh, I'm Strom Thurmond's daughter. I mean, it's not <laughs> like admitting, you know, you were someone else's daughter. This is, how does one deal with that? That is what we are, we are that's this, precisely the story we're telling, George. Yeah. That's what we're digging into is like her decisions, her repeated decisions not to tell because there were there are points in her life when she could have told when she was in college. There was a reporter on campus saying that we've heard that 
at that Governor Thurman, actually Senator, Governor Thurman's daughter, black daughter is on this black campus. We were, who is it, who is it, who is it? And she had the opportunity to tell and she didn't. But she finally did at age 79. Yes. Wow. I think, I think yeah. part of it had to do with the fact that she, he had finally died at that point. And I think we speculated that perhaps she was hoping at some point because one of her, one of her beliefs was that her presence in his life mm -hmm. could help moderate some of his more outrageous policies and statements. She hoped that mm -hmm. having having her as a daughter might make him a little more liberal in some ways. And it is possible that she did was able to soften him, kind of like the people uh, Ivanka was saying, <laughs> people were hoping Ivanka might be able to do. Uh, she hoped that she might be able to have a similar so a softening effect on her father. Yeah. So we think that that's one of the reasons she might have stayed silent. I would, the first, one of the first things that came to me was, okay, you've admitted it. Are you worried about the repercussions? I mean, and that's a, that's a concern. Yeah. And I'm sure that was a concern. There were, when she was growing up, lynching was not uncommon. Sure. Yeah, I know. And also, she was in a situation. Her mother was a servant in the, in the Thurman family household. A lot of her family worked for the Thurmans in one way or another. If she'd spoken out, it's possible that they could have lost their source of income. They could have become ostracized in their community. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of questions, especially dealing with a young girl and a young woman making these decisions and having a lot. It's a big burden to bear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the results could have been catastrophic, not just for her, but yes. members of her family, friends, and you know, it's it's yeah, shrapnel from that grenade would would be far-reaching. Where is mm -hmm. the play right now, and in production or development? It is still in development. We're actually still working with the Orchard Project now. Okay. Uh, Orchard Project Forward is uh, a, a new group that they're trying to work on, and they're helping. Uh, some of the projects from this past uh, Orchard Project summer, uh, trying to help us move the play forward. So we actually have been having some sessions this fall about it. So we're we're still developing it, and we're looking for we're looking for support. We're looking for a theater company that might be interested in taking on this wonderfully exciting and and challenging task of helping us put this play on its feet because it's it's an epic work. Right. We're dealing with decades of American history, decades of someone's life, literally her life, because we actually have a scene where we uh, we speculate about her conception. So mm. from that to the point when she makes this decision, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of life to cover. Yeah, that's that's a huge undertaking. Mm -hmm. Serious theater companies out there, smart theater companies out there, listen up. Go talk to Cheryl Davis. She's got... <sighs> A brilliant play out there. I haven't even read it. I know it's brilliant. <laughs> Randall and Gwen and I. <laughs> let us let us know when uh, something happens with that because we'd love to uh, talk about it some more. I think here. We uh, certainly will. Yeah, good. You guys are both involved in, and uh, Jackie. I know this is going to be a really cheesy segue right now, but you're both involved in the good fight, you know, and <laughs> I know, right. Um, which, well done. Thank you. <laughs> I was wondering if I was going to do that or not. Um, but you are a writer for the TV series, The Good Fight. Um, and you're a playwright. So you do both mediums. And let's talk about your involvement with The Good Fight. And then I want to talk about the difference for you between writing a script or a, a, a TV script as opposed to writing 
a play script because they're two completely different animals and the differences always manage to fascinate me. So, but yeah, let's, let's, how'd you get involved with the good fight? Uh, uh, well, I've been writing TV for quite some years now, and I will make the point that the reason I write for TV is because when I hit my, I think mid forties, my theater career, um, uh, pretty much ended. I, you know, I suddenly, uh, it was as if, uh, at that point, you know, the theater became one of those men that only looks at young women. And, um, mm. that, that's what happened to my, uh, theater career. So I was, uh, happy and lucky enough to have friends in the theater who then were working in television. And I, uh, somehow, uh, stumbled into a, a television writing career, which led to me, uh, meeting the Kings and working for them. And I've been there, I've worked for them for some years and yeah. they're amazing. The good fight is a wonderful show. I'm thrilled to do it. Um, uh, I, it's filled with playwrights who write for the show. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, writing TV is wonderful it is, as it is. It is kind of my day job and I still love writing plays yeah. and, uh, 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 yet, uh, uh, I, I, I know I'm harping on this and yet, you know, uh, uh, the, the issue, which I bring it back to honor roll is mm. that, um, even with a successful TV writing career, it's hard for me at this point, um, to get the attention of theaters in part because when I was young, I didn't become one of those few people, one of those few women that we love and adore, and they are my friends, who became the kind of few famous, well-known women playwrights that got mm -hmm. the one women playwright slot each time. Um, so I, I'm happy to write for TV, and writing for TV is completely different, as you said. It's it's yeah. a, really a lot about craft and collaboration. It's not about my voice. It's about the voice of the showrunners. Um, and I enjoy it. And uh, uh, and yet I, I spend a lot of my volunteer time because I am off part of the year. The Good Fight's only 10 episodes. Um, honor roll work to sort of serve women playwrights who are over 40. And I know I'm going to keep repeating it, but that's why we have these books. And these books are available on Amazon. They're called She Persisted, 10-Minute Plays by Women Over 40. And She Persisted, 100 Monologues by Women Over 40 edited by Larry Lawrence, Larry Harbison. You can also get them from the drama bookshop. We all love right. the drama bookshop. Um, and, and, um, and, and George, I know I'm not talking about TV, but I want to use the time to talk about some of the monologues and, and more oh, of yes, the plays because, because that's how I prefer to talk about that, honestly. And, and I will also say I love Cheryl's play because I've heard it and I'm, I'm excited to hear her talk about it because it's really uh, wonderful. So a little bit more about the plays. I think Yvette Heiliger, yeah who's on our executive committee and I think was on the podcast last he time. Her play has much. my favorite. Yes, her play has my favorite title and I love it. And it's called, I think I would remember if I had sex with Denzel Washington. And it was initially <laughs> performed by Yvette and her twin sister, though she makes a note that you don't have to be twin sister to perform her play. Um, also, um, a, a, a little fun things, a Judith Leora's play called Fucking Cupcakes. In the original cast was Will Arbery, the playwright who wrote Heroes of the For Fourth Turning, which I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. And Laura Rohrman wrote a play <clears throat> called Getting in Touch with Your Dark Side, who had, <clears throat> excuse me, Pernell Walker, who's one of my favorite actresses in the original cast. If you don't know Pernell, look her up. She was uh, in the, I first saw her probably in that TV show, The Deuce, where she played that incredible character, uh, Thunder Thighs. Um, uh, and she happened to do a reading of mine, which is because I grabbed her and she's so awesome. 
Um, I'm going to go on. Forgive me, George. You yeah, can no, stop no, no, me. No, no. Come on. <laughs> but in the monologues, in the monologues, uh, Carol Lashoff has a monologue from a play called Doing School, which Ryan Coogler, the very famous filmmaker, of course, used to make an, a, a, a short film, which won many awards, called Gap. And Donna Latham wrote a monologue from a play called The Haunted Widow Lincoln, when she lived near the sanitarium where to Mary Todd Lincoln was confined. Um, Felice Fenwick-Smith has a monologue, which is a strong role for an actress with a disability. Um, uh, uh, J. Lois Diamond uh, wrote a monologue for her friend, um, Ken Valentino, who died of AIDS, and it was the last role he ever mm. played. And you both um, have monologues in the book, right? Um, I have a monologue in the book and I have a play in the book, yes. But I don't need to talk about my work. I want to oh, talk no, about no, everybody no. else's work. What's it um, about? So I'm going to do a, oh, uh, my play is called I Know. And honestly, it was inspired to me. Uh, it's from some years ago. I actually love the play. Um, it was inspired by the, uh, oh my God, the theater royalty of uh, Lois Smith and David Margulies. David, mm. sadly, no longer with us, but Lois still with us. And it was done at EST, acted by the also, uh, also amazing Beth Dixon and Jack Davidson. Um, uh, um, but now I'm going to say a few more things about the other monologues, and then you're going to stop. <laughs> um, Royal, uh, Royal Cherie has a wonderful log line about her monologue, which I love. She says, it's called Victory. Victory had a hard time being Black, especially once her boyfriend found out. I love that. Um, um, uh, uh, Lucy love Wang has monologues from uh, Good Morning America, which is inspired by real people she spoke to after 9-11. And T-Cat Ford has one about alligators returning to their cages in a Florida farm after a flood, which is true, um, which huh. I think is cool. Uh, uh, a uh, metaphor um, for uh, life. Oh, Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Jenny Lynn Bader's 10 minute play is inauguration is her favorite short piece out of over 20 that she's had published. And it's in this collection. And Victoria Daly's play on the cross Bronx has been performed on four continents and won best play in a contest in Dubai. And I'll just do one more. Lucy Wang's play. My aim is true is about First Nations activist anime Aquash. I hope I said that right. And Lucy says she would have loved honor roll since she fought all her life for equal rights. Okay, I'll stop, George. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I, it's, I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of this book. Oh, you got to get it. <clears throat> yeah, well, you can. The problem is shipping way down here. It's, it's, it's oh, a, long, yes, a yes. long involved problem. <laughs> um, but I'm yes. also going to throw out, um, Cheryl, you want to throw out some of our, uh, you know, Twitter and all that Instagram. Yeah, do you yeah, want to yeah. do was, that? Well, Maybe you have. A... Yep. Oh, OK. No, 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 Sorry. no, 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 no we're, we're good, actually, because I was just about to kind of wrap this thing up. And thank you both okay. for being thank here. You. Jacqueline Reingold, Cheryl Davis, you guys are amazing. You fight so <laughs> hard and your outlooks are so good and your work is outstanding I've, I've read both of you and it's you really need to be produced like every day of the year so um you write from some, your mouth yeah yeah well as long as i can tell and you. all the women who have uh, been overlooked yeah. uh mm -hmm. yeah, we just all need to be many. read sorry go ahead cheryl i was just saying we are just two of many and these books yeah. we hope will expose you and the audience to many more women just like us, just as talented as us mm -hmm. and just as deserving of, as us 
of being produced and having their work done. And it's just a small sliver of, yeah. of the number of playwrights. It's a really tiny uh, selection. We hope there will be more books and more productions, obviously, to come. Oh, I think there will be. With the way you, you both and the rest of your cohort are working to make this happen, I think we're in, in, in the forefront of a tidal wave, and I would absolutely love to see it. I just want to throw one more thing out there, because somebody mentioned this to me about three months ago, another theater artist, um, and I, I don't feel free to use her name, but she is over 50, and she was talking about the same problem that Jackie mentioned, you know, turning 40 and suddenly become transparent. And she said she started to fake her age younger. Mm. Okay, She started to take dates off her resume. She started to not necessarily lie about anything, but just not to commit to the timeline of her career. And I had to think about that for a while because, you know, as your generic old white guy over here, I haven't had these problems. And to actually start faking things about my own existence really made me think about it for a while. It's it's a subject I'm, I'm thinking about coming back to at some point, but it just kind of stunned me. And I hope nobody has to go through that for too much longer. Well, it's a very natural reaction, Cheryl, right? I mean, women do, do feel this in every, uh, not just in the theater, right? Exactly, in, in other areas of life. Yeah. And it's like, as you said, I, we hope that it doesn't have to happen, but it's also it, it's also internalized to some extent where there's some, sometimes it's one of the great things about the women in honor rolls, we're coming out with how, with our ages, with being over 50, over 40, over 60. Yeah. And there are a number of, a number of women who are afraid to do that. They say, well, if I join, then people will know how old I am. So I'm afraid to do it. But it, one of the things is like, it's kind of like a, a, a me too in the respect that once you realize how many of you are out that are are out there, mm -hmm. it gives you a feeling of community. You realize I am not alone. There are so many of us out there, and that's one of the things that we think is so great about honor roll and about these books, where you look at all of these women mm -hmm. over 40, 50, 60, etc., who have wonderful work. I am not alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. That's the critical thing, not being alone, because that can be so mm -hmm. disheartening, so demeaning, and it can make you quit, especially when you've got stories that come out in your voice, which is mm -hmm. a valuable gift to the rest of the world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping things get better. And I'm sure the honor roll, and she persisted, will go a long way to making that happen. So congratulations to you both and to everyone you've worked with on this sort of thing. So... By now, our audience is probably thinking, how can we find out more about you two? So, <laughs> Jackie, go first. How can we find out more about you? Oh, well, if you want to, for I guess you could look at my very old website with the very old photo, I guess, which is just, you know, www.jacquelinereingold.com. Um, uh, oh, and I guess on the new play exchange. Yeah, I do have some plays there. Uh, you know, everybody knows how to do that. Um, and uh, more importantly, though, if you want to know more about Honor Roll, we have um, uh, we have this wonderful profiles page, which I think about 200 members have written about themselves. But the even uh, as as wonderful as that, it, it provides a lot of information about the organization and how to join, et cetera, et cetera. And it's at uh, www.honorrollplaywrights.org. 
Um, there's a lot of honorable info there and a lot about individual playwrights there, including me. You want to read about me? You can go there. Yay, we do. <laughs> Cheryl. Hi, if you want to know about me, I have a website, uh, cldplay.com. Uh, and I'm also present on Twitter at, at VirgoBrain. I joined. VirgoBrain? Yes. Okay, cool. Guess, you'll never guess what sign I am. <laughs> hmm. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> but I also wanted to add that you can find out more about Honor Roll on Twitter at, yeah. at Honor Roll Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. We're also on Instagram at Honor uh, underscore Roll underscore Playwrights. I'm also on Instagram at Virgo Brain. I am, I am if nothing else, consistent. <laughs> Beautiful. Consistently, yep. Yeah, consistency leads to <laughs> popularity and getting the news down. Good. Well, mm -hmm. thank you both so very, very much for taking the time to be here and to talk about this amazing book and your amazing careers and your amazing group of women, probably numbering in the cabillions who are long overdue for some well-deserved respect and attention. So good luck well, to the, both of you. And thank quick you. thank thank you, George, for being part of the uh, you know the solution and having us on and getting the word out. And you're exactly uh, 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 one of our allies and advocates. And we couldn't do it without you. So we are e extremely grateful. Thank you, George. I hope to yeah, George. It's a privilege. Thank you. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, by all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, stay safe. Be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you. <laughs>